Amen. If you have your copy of Scripture, we're in Acts chapter 24 this morning. Acts chapter 24. Acts, of course, in the New Testament. Fifth book of the New Testament. We're going to look at three verses this morning from Acts 24. We'll be looking at verses 24 through 27. Be reading from the English Standard Version this morning, Acts 24, verses 24 through 27. It says, After some days Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. And so he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. On March 1st, 1985, the International News Network released the results of a survey taken the previous years in the United States workplace. The central conclusion focused on the finding that the average American worker wastes nine weeks a year procrastinating. Nine weeks. Just by failing to do what needs to be done at the time it should be done. Nine weeks putting off decisions or delaying actions. Those of us who've studied any kind of leadership in the process know that procrastination is one of the major time wasters among individuals. It's, it's kind of like Felix in our text this morning. The unwillingness to make a decision, even though it seems clearly obvious what that decision should be. Had the survey from the International News Network reflected a nine-week loss through illness or tardiness or laziness, no one would have been really surprised. But procrastination is a thievery of time. Felix is the man who decides not to decide. He is decisively procrastinating. An old piece of verse, and I do not know the source, but it pinpoints for us the problem of procrastination. It says this, he was going to be all a mortal should be tomorrow. No one would ever be better than he tomorrow. Each morning he stacked up the letters he'd write tomorrow. Who can say what a credit he might have been? Tomorrow, the world would have known him if only he'd seen tomorrow. But the fact is he died and faded from view. And all that was left when his living was through was a mountain of things he intended to do tomorrow. Felix was a procrastinator. He procrastinated. He had the opportunity of a lifetime. He has the privilege of listening to the Apostle Paul preach the gospel 
to him and his wife. However, there was a problem because Paul began to say things that hit a little too close to home. And, and now here's the thing. Felix heard the words of the Lord and he trembled, it says. In fact, when it, when it says in verse 25 that he was alarmed in the English Standard Version, the word there for alarmed is terrified. However, instead of responding like the Philippian jailer did earlier on in the book of Acts by asking, what must I do to be saved? He told Paul, go away. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. And as the text said, he summoned Paul often, but he never trembled again and he was never saved. We all say things like, when I find time, I will do this. And when I find time or when I get time, I will do that. And we all live busy lives. We put so much into our schedules and we all know we should make time for God. But we think to ourselves, I'll do it later. I got too much going on right now. When I get my work schedule figured out, I'll, I'll make time for God. When things aren't so crazy, I will make time for God. When my kids' uh, schedules free up, I'll make time for God. When the kids go away to school, I'll make time for God. When I'm older, I will make time for God and life slips away. And the things of God fade from our view and we miss out on our opportunity and we fail to actually make time for God. Oh, sure. There may have been a time where we trembled at his word. There may have been a time when his word actually meant something, but not anymore. This morning, I want to look at this passage of scripture where Paul shares with Felix. Felix trembles at the word, but nothing changes. How can we apply that to our lives? First, I want us to notice, first of all, that we must seize every opportunity God gives to appropriately present the gospel. We must seize every opportunity that God gives to appropriately present the gospel. Listen, in order for Felix to tremble at the word of God, then it had to be presented to him. And if we want to see people tremble at God's word, to be terrified by God's word, or if we want to see people come to know Christ as their Savior, then we have to present the word of God to them. All too often we allow procrastination to rob us of presenting the gospel. We say, well, someone else will present the gospel to them. Surely the, the pastor will present the gospel to them. It's his job after all. It's someone else's job. It's surely not my job. I don't know what I would say. <clears throat> Paul seized his opportunity to appropriately present the gospel. Now, why do I say appropriately? Listen about Felix. Felix was a slave who was freed by Claudius and he became a favorite of the emperor, which means he was always ready to indulge the emperor of whatever the emperor desired. Felix became promoted and climbed the ranks until he became the governor of Judea. While governor of Judea, he was quite the extortionist and went too far to the point that Nero called for him and he would have been severely punished, but his brother Pallas had great influence so Felix was released and given a sharp rebuke the Roman historian Tacitus says he exercised in Judea the imperial functions with a mercenary soul his first wife was a granddaughter of 
Antony and Cleopatra. Drusilla was his third wife, a famous beauty whom he seduced from her husband, a king in Syria. She was about 18 or 19 when Paul spoke to them here. She was the daughter of Herod Agrippa, the first who executed James and planned to do the same to Peter in Acts chapter 12. She was the sister of Agrippa II and Bernice, Acts 25, 13, who were rumored to be living together in incest. Bernice became the lover of the Roman general Titus, who destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70. Drusilla and Felix had a son who was killed in the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in AD 79. That's Felix. Now what does the scripture say that Paul spoke about to Felix? It says righteousness. You would think that Paul, coming before the man who could either release him or execute him, would take it easy on Felix. But Paul has said he does all things for the sake of the gospel. He could have gone light on Felix. He could have, he could have made sure that he said nothing that was offensive to Felix. Maybe he should uh, get his seeker-sensitive sermon ready for Felix so Felix can understand. He could have gone light. Perhaps he should tell Felix how he could have his best life now. Or maybe he should present some sort of moral therapeutic deism to Felix. Or perhaps some sort of self-help gospel. Yeah, that will work. Maybe he could give that to Felix. Oh, we can go even more. Perhaps he should have got out his best jokes and his best stories. For a guy like Felix. Because he has to make the gospel appealing. It's not what Paul does. What does the Bible say Paul does? Acts chapter 25. And as he reasoned about righteousness. And self-control. And the coming judgment. Doesn't Paul know what he's doing? Why didn't Paul give a, a message that made Felix feel good about himself? Paul goes straight for the jugular. He speaks first about faith in Christ. He did not say, don't worry about it, Felix. Don't worry about sin. Just believe in Jesus and you'll have eternal life. That's not what Paul does. He explains the Christ, that faith as righteousness, that you need self-control and that the judgment is coming. It says that he reasoned with him. He appealed to, to their mind and their consciousness with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel should make people think. It should convict their conscience. It should lead folks to a rational decision to trust Christ as their Savior. Listen, emotional appeals sound good on the surface, but they often lead to a flimsy decision if a decision is really made at all. Paul could have gone light, but he deals sternly with a wicked man who sat in power. How did Paul know what to say? Where did he come up with this way to do evangelism? Perhaps Paul needed some instruction on how to present the gospel in a sensitive way in order to bring the most people to Christ. Paul was doing 
what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do through his followers. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment in John chapter 16, verse 8. And Paul shoots straight for the conscience. Paul called out their corrupt immoral lifestyle. When Paul spoke of righteousness, perhaps he made it clear that the righteousness of God was perfect and absolute and it demands that every person on the face of the earth be righteous. Perhaps he brought up all the bribes that Felix had taken when he sat in judgment over others. Perhaps he reminded Felix how the Jewish nation had been oppressed under him. Perhaps he brought up the one thing after another and after another and after another and that showed that Felix was not righteous and he did not meet God's standard of perfection. Therefore, he could not have any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Perhaps he told Felix that adulterers and fornicators nor any unclean person has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Maybe he told him that a leader's sins pollute a nation. We don't know what he said, but Paul said what, 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 we, what we do know he said is that he spoke of righteousness and that he spoke of the judgment to come. And perhaps Felix was angry, but he had no time to react because Paul immediately moved to the judgment. We, we don't know what Paul said concerning the judgment either, but you can imagine he made, it, he made it to the point that Felix stood guilty before the judge. He petrified him. He spoke to Felix, and I can imagine a stern yet passionate earnestness. Though he was in chains, he spoke as a man that was free, and he made the gospel clear. Paul portrayed the fact that God has fixed a day in which he will judge the entire world in righteousness through a man who is Christ Jesus, who he has appointed and given proof to all men by raising that very man from the dead. This man, Felix, who was so powerful so mean so deceitful was struck with terror and he trembled like the coward he was because as he sat on the throne Paul revealed to Felix his damnation listen church Paul did what everyone sharing the gospel should do. He spoke appropriately to his audience and we must do the same. How many pastors and people, if they are in the presence of someone who is famous or someone in authority would seek to find a word to flatter that person, there are many that will stand when there are great people listening to them and they will seek to make the gospel palatable to them or they will try to make themselves pleasing to their audience. I've seen this over and over and over again. I've seen it with those that have opportunities to speak to celebrities. I've seen it with those that have opportunities to speak with those in government positions. I've seen it when people have had opportunities to speak with those that are high up in religious positions. Some people think that the highest thing to be achieved by a pastor or by presenting the gospel is to attract the most people than, than to please all those people. Father, forgive us for our sin of seeking to be man-pleasers with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray I will never stand in a pulpit and preach before a congregation and think, I sure hope that a man was pleased with what I had to say today. 
I sure hope I did okay by the standards of men. I sure hope I was eloquent enough. Or I sure hope that, that, that they thought I was a smart person. I pray I will always stand and preach. Hear me. For this is what the word of the Lord says. I pray that that will be my cry. This is what God's word says. It's not the job of the preacher to be amusing. It's not the job of the gospel presentation to be amusing. People are dying and perishing forever. And it is our job to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the truth. And let it strike their hearts and let them tremble at his word. You know, there's a fascinating documentary on John Knox. It's available on Amazon Prime if you have it. Anyway, John Knox would uh, go into Queen Mary and he would sternly tell her to her face that she was a sinner. You say, well, that's pretty brazen and that's personal. It is. It's very personal. Especially in a world when we're told we have to speak in generalities. We won't tell someone of their sin. We're too afraid to do that. We make it general. We won't look at someone's sinful behavior and say to them, that's sin. You say, well, well, pastor, how can you go around telling people that they are sinful? How can we do that? How can a Christian tell someone else that they're sinful? You want to know how? Because they are. Because they are sinful. There's not a person on the face of this earth that would be afraid to look in the eye and say that they're a sinner. Because they are. And honestly, there's none of you that I'm afraid to speak personally with concerning the kingdom of God. We have to stop tiptoeing around as Christians, may we be like Paul, not speak in generalities, but, but push home the truth to the conscience of our hearers. We have to understand that we carry the gospel. And it's time to be serious about the gospel of Jesus Christ, church. It's, it's time to stop tiptoeing around and thinking, oh, well, I might offend someone or I might say the wrong thing. But we have to present the gospel of Jesus Christ that Jesus came to save sinners. May we seize every opportunity to appropriately present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, the Holy Spirit uses the gospel to elicit a response. So first we have God gives us opportunities, so we need to seize them. Number two, the Holy Spirit uses the gospel to elicit a response. Let's look at the response of Felix. As we've already said, the first thing we notice is that he was alarmed or stricken with terror or he trembled. Paul had nothing to assist him in proclaiming the truth. He had nothing but disadvantages. He was in change. He was a prisoner, someone who was accused of sedition, abusing the nation. What Paul had was the truth of the gospel. And that is enough. Church, the word of God divides asunder the joints and marrow. 
The Word of God pierces the heart. The Word of God drives us from our excuses. The Word of God exposes us for what we are. Oh, the power of the gospel preached. No gimmicks, no fancy things, just the gospel. It has nothing to do with eloquence. The prisoner has become the judge and the governor the criminal. And the gospel elicits a response. I've had people say, boy, boy, Pastor, that message, it really stepped on my toes today. That message sure got to me. I should have had my steel toe boots on. But it's not the messenger, but the message that elicits a response. You ever hear a message that seems like you're just beat to pieces? You kind of walk out going, I'm scum of the earth. I'm a worm. It exposes you. It's not the messenger, but it's the message. Jonathan Edwards used to stand in the pulpit and just read his sermons. He, would, he had eyesight problems. He'd hold the paper close to his face and he would read his sermons. Sinners in the hands of the angry God and people would be in the aisle weeping and crying before he was even done. It's the message. It's not the messenger. You remember that woman at the well? She went into town and what'd she say? Come and see the man that has told me everything I ever did. The word of God exposes us and it elicits a response. The Holy Spirit elicits a response in our life. I've watched grown men reduced to tears because of their sin. The gospel elicits a response. Why? Is it only our conscience? Well, some would have say that we have a, a seared conscience. Some people's conscience is so corrupt it, it has to be beyond the conscience. The reason the gospel elicits a response is because the Holy Spirit uses it to elicit a response. Conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit. If a man like Felix trembles at the word of God, it's only because the Holy Spirit has caused him to tremble at the word of God. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, because we believe that everyone is totally depraved. In other words, everyone is born into sin. They have no good that's in them. So how are they to tremble at the word of God? They can't unless the Holy Spirit does it. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this. The fact is, the Holy Spirit works in two ways. In some, some men's heart, he works with restraining grace only. And the restraining grace, though it will not save them, is enough to keep them from breaking out into the open and corrupt sin in which some men indulge who are totally left by the restraints of the Spirit. I would add that restraining grace and common grace are essentially the same, and it is the grace that comes to anybody. So there was Felix. Some little portion of restraining or common grace. And when the apostle gave the gospel to him, this restraining grace quickened the conscience, compelled him to tremble. Now here's the thing. This grace, man may resist. And they do resist it. Even though the Holy Spirit is omnipotent and never can be resisted when he works omnipotently, just like someone who is strong may at times not put all, out all their strength, 
That's the way the Holy Spirit operates at times. If you go to lift five pounds, you don't put all your strength into it. Well, unless you, that's all you can lift, but, okay? You don't go and grab a five pound weight and just put all your might into lifting that up. Otherwise, you're going to hurt yourself. If you go to swat a mosquito, you don't hit that mosquito as hard as you can, unless it's on someone you don't like, then you might. But, right, you don't, you don't smack that thing as hard as you can. The Holy Spirit sometimes works, but, but in restraining grace temporarily and for good and excellent purposes, which he always accomplished, but he, but he allows men to quench and resist his influences so that salvation does not come to them. God, the Holy Spirit, may work in men some, some good desires and some good feelings and yet have no design of saving them. But none of these feelings are things that accompany sure salvation. If they were, they would be continued on in their life. But he, he does not work omnipotently to save in their life. Except in the person of his own election. Those who he decides that he will save. Whom he assuredly brings to himself. So in the case of Felix, the trembling can be accounted to the restraining or common grace of the Holy Spirit. That quickens his conscience. Causes him to tremble. So to be clear, common or restraining grace is the only thing that keeps our whole world from shutting down it's the only thing that sustains our world it's the only reason why this world has not spun completely out of control what about the person that is lost and never trembles at the word of God in fact they blaspheme God and are arrogant of heart problem or of their heart and perhaps they even go to church and they sit through a sermon and they think that's absurd and the words never reach their heart that person has seared their conscience to the fact that they do not tremble at the word of God. And it's proof that they are corrupt. And unless they come to salvation, they will die without hope. And if someone no longer feels the weight of their sin, if they no longer tremble at the word of God, they no longer feel that in their life, then they need to be very concerned because the Holy Spirit does not strive with men forever. Now quickly, there was another response by Felix. Not only did Felix tremble, but he procrastinated. You see, he told Paul that when he got an opportunity, he would summon him. And, and he did. And we'll get to that in the final point. But Felix's motto was, when I find time. That was his excuse. He's talking to the apostle Paul. And he responds to his fear with a hasty decision. He felt the force of Paul's words and he sent Paul away with this lame excuse. I'll talk to you about it later. However, he never trembled again with fear. The Holy Spirit does not strive with men forever, church. We always think we have more time. The young man says, when I grow old, I will do something. But what about the old man? What does he say? I don't know. I'm not there yet, hopefully. When is a convenient season for them? Some are knocking on death's door right now. The young may die, but the old will die soon. Oh, what a thievery of time procrastination is. We all have our warnings and eventually 
we get our last warning. We have no idea if we'll even live to see tomorrow. Church, when you are in pain, you do something about it. If you dull it with drugs, then you will have a problem later on. When your check engine light comes on in your car, you get it checked out and hopefully find the problem and fix it. If you ignore it, you're going to have to have a new car soon. It works the same way spiritually. God uses his word sometimes through preaching, sometimes through conversations. Someone speaks to your conscience using his word. And you can either pay attention to what's being said or you can ignore it. You can come up with excuses or you can do something about it. What are you putting off today in your life? Week in and week out, we have opportunities. Church, you can, you can set your alarm. You can get up early. You can spend time praying and reading the Bible or you can sleep in. And miss it. You can read books that are really spiritually and enrich your life for Christ. They could change your life, or you can read garbage or not read at all. You can memorize scripture, or you can memorize lines from some filthy TV show. You can get your finances in order and live generously and help others, or you can slander or, or you can squander your money on junk that you don't need to impress people you don't even like. You can meet with other believers on a Wednesday evening, on Sunday mornings or other times to grow in your faith. Or you can do your own thing and forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You can share the gospel with that lost person or you can be busy doing the things that in the end of this life will not matter. Church, the gospel elicits a decision. We say things like, well... I can do that later, but later never comes. I can share the gospel later, but what if you never see that person again because they pass into eternity and hell before you get a chance? Why do we think God waits for our convenience? Why do we procrastinate? Will we forever be saying, I can do that later? There's always time. But the time to do those things for the Lord is now. It's not later. Stop procrastinating. Do them while the Spirit is convicting you. Do them when you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Do them before it's too late. Do them before He's not striving with you anymore. The most convenient time for you to do something when the Holy Spirit convicts you to do something is now. Not later. Didn't it drive you nuts, those of you that have been parents, if you asked your kid to do something? And they say, oh, I'll do it. Next week, it looks the same, right? I'll do it. Next week, it looks the same. Oh, I'll get it done. And it's just they never do it. It's the way we are in our spiritual life so often. We must seize the opportunity to appropriately present the gospel. We must understand that the gospel elicits a response. And finally and lastly, we must always seek to please Christ, refusing to be greedy man-pleasers. I know that's a mouthful. We must always seek to please Christ, refusing to be greedy man-pleasers. So we seize the opportunities that God gives us. We trust that the Holy Spirit uses the gospel to elicit a response. So we have God, the Holy Spirit, and number three, hopefully you see what I've done here. We must always seek to please Christ, refusing to be greedy man-pleasers. Paul lived a life that was totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. Everything he, he did was to further the kingdom 
in the glory of Christ, he told the Ephesian elders, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Ephesians 20, 24. He told the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1 that in his imprisonment, his aim was that Christ shall even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now it might have been tempting for Paul to not proclaim the gospel and instead try to get released. I mean, after all, if Paul was released, it would give him even more opportunities to share the gospel. However, Paul's priorities were not on being released. His priorities were just as ours should be, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Remember, Felix was a man that was willing to accept bribes, but Paul would not bribe him. Paul remained faithful, and guess what? He also remained in prison. Paul lived his life trusting in the Lord and knowing that if the Lord wanted to deliver him from prison, that he could deliver him from, from prison. But if he didn't, he was going to use his time in prison to make an eternal impact. Church, if only we'd grasp that idea that God can deliver us from whatever he so chooses. But if he doesn't, we will use our time to make an eternal impact. Do we live our life to hear well done, good and faithful servant? I mean, our main goal as followers of Christ should be to please the Lord. We should always be seeking to please Christ in all we do. And we must refuse to be greedy man pleasers. Look at verses 26 and 27. Verse 26. First, at the same time, it says that he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. Felix was in the business of selling justice for greed. He sought to be paid off for favors. Greed seeping into the halls of justice and government. It's not a new thing. It's been around for a very, very long time. Greed steals away character. And the love of money brings people to ruin. Even today, we see bribery, right? We see payoffs. We see corruption, especially among those who have wealth and can afford to, to do those things. But Paul didn't give in. He didn't offer a bribe. And it would seem that Felix was impatient. He hoped Paul would offer something. So he met with him more often thinking, surely Paul's going to figure this out. Surely Paul's going to understand that I take bribes and that he's going to give me a bribe. Listen, church, I challenge you to be like Paul. and Seek the things of Christ and not like Felix overcome with greed. But look at verse 27. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by one of my favorite characters in the Bible here, Porcius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Did you catch that? And desiring to do the Jews a favor. Felix was a man pleaser. 
there is some historical significance here in Felix desiring to do the Jews a favor. Racial violence had broken out between the Jews and the Gentiles in Caesarea and Felix acted quickly and a number of Jewish leaders were killed and as a result of this, the Jews reported Felix to Nero and this happened two years after Paul uh, was first appeared before Felix. And so Paul had been in prison for two years at this time. Notice that Felix still refuses to do the right thing. He still refused to free Paul and the reason is because he did not want the Jews angry at him again. His desire to please man superseded him doing the right thing. He had to think about his political survival. He couldn't jeopardize his position. So he gave into the world. He gave into the, the greed. He gave into the wealth and the power of this world instead of righteousness. He compromised righteousness in order to please man. Felix paid the price. He's removed from his position. Once again, God shows his sovereignty. And Felix is removed from his position. And Porcius Festus is put into position. All because Felix wanted to please man. So church, we must seize ever, every opportunity God gives to appropriately present the gospel. We do this knowing the Holy Spirit uses the gospel to elicit a response. And finally, we must always seek to please Christ, refusing to be greedy man pleasers. If God is speaking to us, Perhaps this morning, we must not put off our obedience. It is always the right time to do the right thing. Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 say it perfectly. We urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, In the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Dr. Clarence McCartney told a story about a meeting in hell. Satan called his four leading demons together and commanded them to think up a new lie that would trap more souls. I have it, one demon said. I'll go to earth and I'll tell people there is no God. It will never work, said Satan. People can look around them and see that there is a God. I'll go and tell them there is no heaven, suggested the second demon. But Satan rejected that idea. Everybody knows there is life after death. And they want to go to heaven. Let's tell them there is no hell, a third demon suggested. No, conscience tells them their sins will be judged, said the devil. We need a better lie than that. Quietly, the fourth demon spoke. I think I've solved your problem, he said. I'll go to earth and I'll tell everyone there is no hurry. Church, it's how the world thinks. We have time. Don't trouble yourself with God. At least not until you're about to die. God says, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. The best time to trust Jesus Christ 
is now. The best time to tell others the good news of the gospel isn't next week. Isn't next year. Is it, it isn't when you have your life all straightened out. The best time for you as a follower of Christ to tell the good news of the gospel is now. Now. We must each respond to God's word as it comes to us individually. There, there is to be no procrastination. There is to be no equivocation. But rather a full receiving and full giving. This day God has given you an opportunity. Because you're hearing his word. Perhaps it is to trust Christ as your savior. Maybe you've never done that before. Perhaps today it is to deal with a specific sin in your life. That you need to deal with. Because you feel the prodding of the Holy Spirit. The time is now. Perhaps it's to get your priorities straight. Because you are not seizing opportunities. That God's given you to appropriately share the gospel. And you just kind of go through your day. Doing the same thing over and over again. Don't be like Felix. And miss it. Instead. Be like Paul. Be like Paul. And seize. Every opportunity. Would you be like Paul? In a few minutes we're going to take communion together. This morning. We're going to sing a song. And if no one comes forward on the end of the second verse, we'll go ahead and, and get our communion ready. But I want to challenge you this morning. First of all, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, do not take communion with us. Don't do it. It's only for those that know Christ as their Savior that place their faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't understand that, then don't do it. Secondly, if there's active sin in your life this morning, if you have sin against your brother as we talked about last week, or you have sin against the Lord, maybe the Holy Spirit has, has done business with you, and you, you've not prayed and asked for forgiveness, don't take communion. Nobody's going to make fun of you. Nobody's going to laugh at you. Nobody's going to tease you. If any of that's true in your life, you don't know Christ or you got sin in your life, don't take communion. If you need to do business with the Lord, then come up here and do business before we even take communion. If you got to pray, come up here and pray. If you stay in your pew and pray, you can come up here and pray with me. Whatever you want to do. But we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing two verses. We'll give you a chance to respond. And then we're going to go into our communion time. Before we do that, we're going to pray together. Let's pray. Father, thank you.